Greetings, everybody. We are jumping into Luke chapter three. We are flying. And in this section, we're going to look at Luke chapter three, verses one through 14. And again, it's a smaller section. So I think I have enough time to read it and then make some observations about it, which is nice. That will not always be the case because sometimes Luke's chapters are crazy long, like 80 verses. So this one, if we're just going to look at 14 verses, off we go. John chapter 3, verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod, being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Ituria, and Traconitus, Traconitus, woo, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as was written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill made low, and the crooked shall become straight, the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, which <laughs> my pastor said recently when he was going through this text, uh, not typically a great way to start normally in a sermon, but who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to, from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid root to the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who does uh, who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also became, came to be baptized and said, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said, Collect no more than you're authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, What shall we do? And he said, Don't extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be content with your wages. This has a little bit of a Sermon on the Mount vibe to it there. So that's the, the passage. I'm interested in a few things here. Earlier on in chapter 1, Zechariah says that John the Baptist will prepare the way for the Lord and give knowledge of salvation in the forgiveness of sins, alluding to a very important passage in Isaiah 40. Now, in chapter 3, Luke straight up quotes Isaiah 40 directly, which is something that the other three gospel writers do as well. And so it would be good for us to go to Isaiah 40 and see if we can identify something there that we have just heard. And so I'm going to go to Isaiah 40, and here we go. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem 
and cried to her that her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. She's received from the Lord's hand double all her sins. And then we have verse 3. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And the word Lord there is all capital letters. So that's God's covenant name, Yahweh. And in Luke 3, in the Greek, it will be the Greek word kurios that is used. But the reference is to God showing up. It says that the second part of verse 3, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Lord and God are the same. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain made, and hill be made low, the uneven ground level, rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh is going to see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And if I skip down a little bit further, in verse 9 of that chapter, it says, Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. That's the, the, the word euangelion, or gospel. And what is the good news? It says at the end of verse 9, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him, and his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. And he's going to tend his flock like a shepherd, and he's going to gather the lambs in his arms. So this gathering is interesting. So what's what's going on here? So and if you if you keep on scrolling through the, uh, sorry, I'm scrolling. You could turn the page of a of a paper Bible, and you'll see that it compares God to idols that have been made, and how Israel has uh, made idols, but they're nothing in comparison to to God, and what is the comfort here? So in chapter 39 of Isaiah, we read about their exile to Babylon. So right before this text is this interesting little narrative section in Isaiah that comes kind of out of nowhere. There's all this poetic uh, oracle language and then right in Isaiah 39, this little bit of narrative, and it's God talking to Hezekiah and telling Hezekiah that the days are coming when everything in your house is going to be carried to Babylon, and so will the people be carried. So because people, uh, people were saying peace and security in my days, which actually, that's, that's something that Jesus quotes uh, in the New Testament, which is interesting. So Isaiah 40 is about comfort to the people of God because God is going to bring them home. God is going to bring them home. And as I always do, guys, I, I want to caution you. Don't jump instantly when you hear God is going to bring them home. Don't think that that means for us going to heaven. So I, I want to continue to challenge kind of that cultural thing that gets developed um, in our, our reading of the Bible and kind of our Christian cultural vocabulary about this whole idea of just going to heaven. And that's as if that's what home is. Um, so 
I, I talk about that in other, other places, other times, and I'll, I'll bring it up more in other podcasts. So what we have going on in Luke is Luke saying that the, the exile and the return from exile that was promised really hasn't totally happened at the end of the Old Testament. Because here's the weird thing. They did come back at the end of the Old Testament. So if you read Ezra or read Nehemiah, right, or uh, Esther, so if you read some of these, Malachi, you're, you're going to get stories about them coming back from exile. And so why am I not hearing that Isaiah 40 is getting fulfilled then? And quite simply, you know, the Lord, the Lord doesn't show up then. And the Messiah doesn't show up then. So they kind of come back, but there's something missing. There's a restoration of God's people that hasn't happened. And I, I'm going to pick up on that in a, a second point, or actually it'll be my third point that I'm going to bring up. So we're connecting things together. Do you remember my big three that they're hoping for in the first century? They're hoping for a, a promised restoration of Israel as a nation. And it never really happened. Uh, Isaiah, uh, sorry, Nehemiah chapter 9, they say, even though they've come back, they're still slaves of, of Cyrus, king of Persia. He's still kind of reigning over them. So they, sure, some of them got sent back home, but they were never restored as a nation. Secondly, they're waiting for the Messiah to show up, the, the son of David that was prophesied and promised. David was told his kingdom would last forever, and that hasn't happened yet. They're waiting and wondering. And then they're waiting for God's glory to show up. And they would expect God's glory to fill the temple. And so these things don't happen um, at the end of the Old Testament. So we're left waiting, and they're left waiting for hundreds of years. And then Jesus shows up. So when Isaiah 40 gets used by the gospel authors, it's activating all of these hopes that they've got, that God is fulfilling his promises and the prophets in and through Jesus. And they don't get it. They don't see that, right? They expect a king who's going to have blood on his sword because he's killing Romans, like David killed, killed Philistines. But of course, the blood that Jesus is going to have is, is his own blood. So all sorts of, of curveballs are going to be thrown at him. But what a significant thing to, to reflect on that Israel's hopes and dreams rooted in Isaiah 40. Now John the Baptist is this voice saying the Lord has arrived and it's Jesus. We have Luke um, describing John the Baptist as heading out into the wilderness and baptizing the crowd. And we have a large number of Israelites in the wilderness having this water experience. So uh, think about that one, guys. Can you think of a time in the Old Testament where Israelites were in the wilderness and had a water experience? Actually, a couple times, right? When they were rescued from Egypt and they went through the parted Red Sea. And of course, uh, also when uh, 
they're crossing the Jordan River, which is where we're at here. We're at the Jordan River, and Israel will, will cross the Jordan River, and that crossing of the river is kind of like a creation event. Water and land being found is a creation event. And so it's like Israel is being created, but now we have John the Baptist out there with the Israelites, and it's this sense of a new kind of Israel that's being created. And I think we're supposed to be thinking about those those ideas uh, in Luke 3. Last thing to bring up has to do with John's ministry is in terms of repentance. And this can be kind of weird for us sometimes because um, Jesus is baptized here. Uh, so why, <laughs> why is Jesus getting baptized? This is for um, the repentance. And he, he says, um, so be baptized. Sorry. Um, yeah. In keeping, in keeping with repentance is, is the, uh, the language. And he's going to challenge the people who are there to, um, to repent of the way they're living, because there's a new way to live that is about to unfold. There's a new way to be human that is about to be revealed. And that act of repentance is significant. And I just want to remind you of something that we read in Deuteronomy 30. I think we read this, but it's been a while. And my guess is you don't have Deuteronomy 30 memorized. And so let me read Deuteronomy 30 verses 1 through 5 to you. Because I think this is important to understand what John the Baptist is doing. Because we've established pretty clearly that we've got exile and return from exile happening here. These are the, the, the blueprints for how I should be envisaging what's happening here. I've got a new Israel going through water, and I've got... Um, return from exile happening. But how does that all happen? Well, remember the language in Deuteronomy 30. Let me read it to you. Verses 1 through 5. And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you. So this is Moses speaking, but God, he's, he's speaking God's words to Israel. And you, Israel, you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord's driven you. I've scattered you out to all these nations. And if you return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and you obey his voice in all that I command you today, with all your heart and with all your soul, notice that repentance there. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. And he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord has scattered you. If you are scattered in the utmost parts of heaven from there, the Lord your God will gather you. 
So heaven there can just be sky. I mean, if you're in the way up there in the sky somewhere, God's going to gather you so that it wouldn't mean um, you were in God's presence and now he's taking you out of God's presence. That would be confusing. Verse five, and the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he's going to make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. Uh, Oh, I'm going to read a little bit more. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Mm -hmm. So there is a change of heart. There's a repentance that is contingent on a return from exile. And it seems to me that that's what we're playing with here in the text. John the Baptist says there's a, he's proclaiming a repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And he's, I mean, just like it says in Isaiah. Um, so the, the idea is you guys have a change of heart. You call out to the Lord, you turn, and what's God going to do? He's going to forgive you. And he's going to restore you. And so what, what ends up happening is, you know, they, they think this is a geographic kind of political restoration. And it's totally understandable why they would think that. So they're expecting a geopolitical Israel to be restored. And a geopolitical Israel was never restored. That, that was not what Jesus was doing. I'll, I'll put the, the comment to the side. I know some will argue that a geopolitical Israel was restored in, what, 1948, 1949? Uh, that's, that's for another conversation. So I, I don't think that's, um, I disagree with that line of thinking. So I think we're supposed to see the fulfillment of God's promise to Israel happening here in Jesus. That's, I, I tend to go in that direction with things. Um, so here you have this language of repentance, and Deuteronomy 30 seems to be highlighting that a new Israel is being made, not, not one from Abraham, but it's going to be anyone who would give their allegiance. Now, now who, who are we talking about here? Oh, we're talking about the brood of vipers. Huh. We're talking about tax collectors. We're talking about soldiers. So, I mean, who are going to be some of the most hated people? Yes, tax collectors and soldiers. You know, those soldiers, your enemies, they're actually going to be a part of the kingdom of God. So a new kind of Israel is being established. And I think we have little hints of that even in the text for us to highlight. God is doing something new and significant, and it's any who are going to give their allegiance. So that's, that's something worth processing as we think about our allegiance uh, to Jesus, our King, as well. How are we living how are we actively showing our citizenship in, in his kingdom? Just my brain's going there as we wrap up. At any rate, 
hope uh, hope there was something here for you guys to process and and think about. We'll we'll jump into Jesus's baptism in our next section. <music>